Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to episode number 48 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, as to us, every player who downs the orange and blue is in their own way, or in some way to us, unformidable. We're all getting back into the swing of a baseball season. Met fans a little slower than most teams, uh, thanks to the Nationals' COVID outbreak and the weather. But it's definitely fun to be back doing Unformidable every week. Uh, Mets history gives us a lot of random, strange, quirky players, footnotes, stories. Sometimes I try to respond to who the Mets are playing, where we are in the baseball calendar. Other times, uh, just wind up getting a little random. Uh, This is a personal favorite short-time Met for an obvious reason that many people might share, uh, as well as for a personal favorite anecdote that I'll that I share with a dear friend that makes this player even more memorable for me uh, but it isn't isn't a player whose met tenure is easily forgotten for one particularly distinguishing and notable factor and that factor is that in baseball terms he was old because for unformidable number 48 who better than the only 48-year-old I can think of to wear the orange and blue as an active major leaguer, the one and only Julio Franco. Julio César Franco Robles was born 
August 23rd, 1958, allegedly. Uh, some people have doubted that, as, uh, you know, is known uh, back in the day. Uh, but he was born in Hato Mayor, Dominican Republic. Uh, he grew up in Consuelo, in San Pedro de Macorís, a municipality about 50 miles east of Santo Domingo, and which uh, was known back then as quite a haven for shortstops, and Franco was in fact a shortstop when signed by the Philadelphia Phillies as an amateur free agent on April 23, 1978. He quickly reported to the Phillies' uh, rookie-level team uh, in Butte, and he would then immediately embark on a long, seemingly never-ending career in baseball, and uh, never-ending, I say, as close to uh, the oft-misused word literally as possible, because <clears throat> he played everywhere and often, and his continued coaching everywhere and often, uh, basically since 1978, and for his whole life, it would seem. In each of five minor league seasons, Franco would hit for a batting average of at least 300, uh, slowly and steadily working his way through the Philadelphia minor league system uh, in AAA in 1982. Uh, he, he did spend a little time in the majors in 82, but uh, in Oklahoma City, he hit 300 with 21 homers in, a, in 120 games, uh, clearly establishing himself as a solid prospect. Uh, he did make his major league debut on April 23rd of 1982 for the Phillies when uh, their starting shortstop, Ivan de Jesus, was injured. Uh, he came up, and at the age of 23, in his first major league at bat, promptly singled to center off of Cardinals right-hander Bob Forsh for the first of many, many major league hits for the natural-born hitter. Franco would get up back up to the majors in 82 on two other occasions, but would only play 16 games for the Phillies and log 29 at-bats and 32 plate appearances. Uh, you know, with his minor league performance and his age and his desirable position as shortstop, you would probably think he was the shortstop of the future for the Phillies, but instead he became the shortstop of the present for the Cleveland Indians, as in the 1982 offseason, uh, Franco was one of five players sent to Cleveland in a trade that would have a, not a great impact on the Mets, although I'm sure Franco, as a great player, would have be perhaps bedeviled us in Philadelphia, but uh, that trade, in that trade, the Phillies acquired the soon-to-be Mets killer, the execrable Von Hayes. Uh, who was a huge prospect at the time, uh, apparently, and uh, so it required the five players to acquire Hayes, uh, and Hayes had himself quite a solid career, but Franco would be the best player involved in that, in that trade, uh, quickly establishing himself as a great hitter uh, and solid all-around player, coming in second in the 1983 American League Rookie of the Year voting to Ron Kittle, and costing Franco the chance to forever be mentioned in the same breath as the 1983 National League winner, the one and only Daryl Strawberry. Franco was a fine, an average defensive shortstop, uh, both in reputation. I was pretty young at the time, but you know he was considered a solid shortstop, and his defensive numbers were pretty average uh, from what I could see online. 
Uh, wouldn't hurt you, but don't remember him ever being in the gold glove conversation in the major leagues. He did win one in Japan, though, uh, interestingly enough. But, um, you know, he wasn't going to hurt you at the position. As he got older, he moved to second base before primarily setting in as a first baseman DH in the mid th- in his mid-30s because uh, DH was appropriate because the man could just flat-out hit. And hit, of course, from one of the most notable, memorable batting stances in baseball history. Uh, Franco's toes pointed inwards towards each other, right-handed batter, of course. His rear end jutted out pretty far. Uh, his back right elbow cocked very high above his ear. And, a, and the bat coiled so far back that the tip was practically pointed at the pitcher's face. Uh he looked almost like a, a coiled snake. Uh, the bat's so far to travel through to get to the zone and make contact, all that distance to cover with the heaviest legal bat size possible. It looked impossible, but it did not deter him at all. Um, it deterred me when I would try to imitate his stance in wiffle ball or stick ball, but it certainly didn't deter him. From 1986 through 1991, which would probably be his peak major league seasons, Franco hit over 300 five out of those six seasons, and I I think he was in like the 290s, the other one, uh, including a league-leading 341 in Texas in 1991, beating out Wade Boggs for his one batting title. And uh, from 89 to 91, he made the All-Star team three straight times. By that point, I think he had moved to second base for Texas after getting traded there for, uh, from Cleveland. Uh, he, One of his favorite career highlights, he won the 1990 All-Star game MVP, uh, driving in the only runs of the game with a double off of Rob Dibble. Yeah, so even with all that distance to travel, Franco could catch up with the heat. Um, in 1992, he missed a lot of time with a serious knee injury, which uh, essentially ended his time as a middle infielder in baseball. And uh, also, uh, Franco cited that moment as learning the importance of taking care of his body to prolong his career, uh, something which would really help in the longevity of his career. And it's hard to read a story about Franco, especially in the older part of his career with the Mets and since he's been coaching without hearing about his incredible physique and what great shape he was in and I believe is still in from what I've read. Probably, certainly better shape than I'm in, but at any rate. As a theme, I think it seems clear, you know, Franco's known for how long he played baseball. Uh, Seems like he's just someone who never wanted to not be playing baseball. Uh, uncertain if there would be a 1995 season. Uh, the 94 season, of course, ended. Uh, Franco, it was the only year he hit 20 home runs, so he was on his way to an incredible season in 94 with the White Sox uh, when the strike ended the season. He signed in Japan for the 1995 season because he was unsure, if, and the season did in fact start a tiny bit late in 95, if I recall. Uh, but Franco played the 95 season over in Japan before returning to MLB in 1996, uh, back with Cleveland. Uh, you know, then he had a he had a pretty good 96 season, but an, an okay, but you know, average but unimpressive 1997 season split between Cleveland and Milwaukee. So at age 38, uh, would you know, and uh, you know, worst hitting season ever, though not disappointing, it would seem that his career was coming to an end, 
but of course it wasn't. He would not allow that to happen. Major League Baseball may not have seen a role for Julio Franco, but he wasn't done with professional baseball. From 1998 to 2001, aside from one at-bat in 1999 with the fledgling Tampa Bay Devil Rays, Franco played exclusively in Korea, Mexico, and Japan. I watched a lot of baseball back then. The Mets were good. Uh, I'm sure I was obsessed with fantasy baseball those days. I thought he had retired, uh, so had a lot of other people, or at least one other, as I will get to shortly. But uh, in September of 2001, uh, the Atlanta Braves uh, were aware that Julio Franco had not given up baseball and noted his tremendous success in the Mexican League that year and signed the then 43-year-old Franco to a contract, which leads me to one of my personal favorite baseball anecdotes. Uh, This, of course, put Franco on the Braves as, uh, I think, the short half of a first base platoon uh, for the Braves and a bat off the bench. And in the middle of a number of Mets-Braves games down the stretch that season, uh, Julio Franco, in fact, started the very famous post-9-11 Mike Piazza home run game in New York. About a week later, the Mets were desperately trying to chase down the Braves with an improbable uh, September run. Uh, and uh, the, after the series at Shea, the Mets were down in Atlanta for a three-game series. Uh, my friend Rob Ward, uh, you know, biggest Met fan I know, aside from myself and my Mason Avenue cohorts, person with whom I share so many baseball memories since I've known him since five, and root, we were five and rooted for the Mets when they sucked in the early 80s together and so forth. And I watched a lot of baseball with him and with his dad, who was just a, a charming, lovely old older Irishman. Uh, you know, we went to Fenway Park together. Uh, to, with, I went there with his family when I was young. We watched a lot of Mets together. And this is, so Rob's dad is a man who knows his baseball and knows his Mets, maybe doesn't watch it quite as religiously or as zealously as Rob and I. And, and is an Irishman with the, you know, with a good sense of humor to boot. So watching a game with Rob's dad uh, in that late September run, and Julio Franco comes to the plate, and as he's announced, uh, uh, Mr. Ward looks up and just, uh, in that lovely brogue, uh, says to Robert, Well, you know, his dad was a hell of a player, this one. And as Rob said, he, he had to take a beat, because he thought maybe his dad was teasing him, and waited and stared, and then had to uh, explain, actually, Dad, that is Julio Franco, which I believe was met with disbelief, like, no, no, this he, was, he played years ago, he hasn't played in years. And be that as it may, Mr. Ward, this, that is the same Julio Franco. That, to me, uh, explains the mystery and the, the joy of Julio Franco coming back to Major League Baseball uh, after essentially a four-year absence, you know, f- from the end of the 97 season till September of 2001. I can't see the man without thinking to myself, yeah, his dad was a hell of a player. And in fact, it was a, a very reasonable belief, I mean, uh, in, in looking up all of the oldest player two or only player two facts that one could find about Julio Franco. Uh, obviously, they can't really quantify this stat, but I think I saw on Wikipedia that it's believed that he's the only player to hit a home run, or the only known player to hit a home run with his grandson in attendance 
uh, at a game. So believable, but not his son, actually Julio Franco, batting against the Mets in September of 2001. And we would quote that anecdote for years, not expecting that Julio Franco would ever, not expecting the career continue that much longer, nor that it would continue long enough to bring him to New York as a Met. But starting at age 43, Franco would spend the next four seasons in Atlanta, defying age, hitting 275 or better, uh, and not just an empty batting average. Four of those five years, his OPS plus was above 100 uh, as a you know, platoon slash bench bat, averaging 250 to 300 at-bats a year for the Braves. Not extraordinary, but if you removed his age from the equation, you probably would say, oh, nice, nice little player. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Even by advanced metrics, in 2004, at the age of 45, he put up a 1.1 war, according to baseball references, uh, and, you know, above above average offensive war through 2005, although he gave a lot of that back with that with his defense at first base. But come on, he's in his mid-40s. Do we really, really care that much about his war? Franco played the 2005 season at age 46, and again, had that season right in that, uh, in that area in, that we've just discussed. And the 2005 Mets were a mostly young team on the rise, the new Mets of Pedro and Carlos Beltran, the young David Wright and Carlos Reyes. The Mets were eyeing a better 2006, looking for some veteran leadership for that somewhat young team. And Julio Franco uh, was looking for more security, or, you know, I guess as long long of a contract as one could get at the age of 46, uh, and they found some mutual interest as the Mets gave the 46-year-old Franco a two-year, $2.2 million contract to lure him out of Atlanta and to the bench in Flushing. Now, for many Mets fans, um, many Mets fans might remember that Franco made a very immediate contribution uh, some might say his biggest contribution for the organization off the fi- uh, kind of off the field or in the dugout and not so much on the field. Uh, sure, it's, it's always easy to mock the intangible leadership veteran presence angle that many teams rely on and perhaps the Mets a little more so than others, especially back in the day. Uh, but Franco displayed that in spades, in the spades that you would hope for, from a 46-year-old, 47-year-old, I guess. Uh, and now, Carlos Beltran had, of course, uh, famously been treated quite shabbily by the Shea faithful for much of 2005 after 
struggling to quite live up to his huge contract signed the previous offseason, and fans were not in a forgiving mood very early in 2006. Uh, Beltran went 0 for his first 9 in the first two-plus games of the season, and the booing started again uh, until uh, on April 6th in his fourth at-bat of the game, Beltran launched a mammoth home run uh, to to right, and the fans, you know, the boos pretty much immediately turned to cheers, and the fans wanted a curtain call. They kept the cheering going. Uh, Beltran did not seem immediately ready to uh, forgive and was not going to answer that sudden about-face demand for a curtain call uh, when Franco was seen in the dugout uh, quietly uh, but pointedly talking to Beltran, who then popped out of the dugout for a begrudging curtain call, but uh, probably a probably did save some uh, a lot of New York media Sturm und Drang and um, smoothed out what would be a f- incredibly prosperous uh, 2006 season, uh, you know, minus the final at bat, I know, but really that Beltran's 2006 is one of the best seasons I've seen a Met have, and 2006 was a, you know, memorable season that, uh, you know, maybe just peaked a little bit too early, uh, much like Julio Franco's 2006, unfortunately. He was signed, I'm sure there were a lot of jokes about the Mets uh, bringing on a 46-year-old. I may have even made one or two of them myself. I mean, you know, it is the Mets. But he, as in addition to being a great leader and showing those leadership skills early and predominantly uh, with Carlos, uh, Franco actually excelled early as a pinch hitter, getting spot starts, uh, spelling Carlos Delgado at first base or DHing in interleague games. Uh, through the first half of the year, or at least as late as June 22nd, Julio Franco is hitting 346 with an 874 OPS. And I remember, you know, Gary Keith and Ron marveling at and you know Keith marveling at his hitting skills and how he got around and how he was such a great professional hitter. Unfortunately, whether there were nagging injuries or just age finally catching up to Julio Franco at age 46, uh, he did slump very badly down the stretch in 2006. Uh, the team was ahead by so much uh, in the division race. I, I think things like that went very unnoticed. Uh, but while Franco made the postseason roster, he was he had pretty much been supplanted as the primary pinch hitter by Michael Tucker, even an injured Cliff Floyd. By the time the playoffs come around, came around, he only got two at bats uh, pinch hitting in each round of the playoffs. He did drive in a run with an RBI ground out in Game Two against the Dodgers, but only got two plate appearances in the seven-game NLCS defeat that the Mets suffered. It'd be hard-pressed to say that age ever defeated Julio Franco, but it did seem to at least slow him down a little uh, by age 47, at least as far as Major League Baseball readiness is concerned. He, of course, had that two-year contract with the Mets, and he started the 2007 season with the Mets uh, and appeared in 40 games for them that season, Uh, but for both Franco and the Mets, uh, 2007 would not end uh, wonderfully or would wind down poorly. Uh, His notable moments as a Met in 2007 were mostly notable in retrospect as as they've become footnotes as oldest player to 
or oldest player since milestones. Perhaps notably, and I do remember watching this as well, on May 4th of 2007, Franco hit what would ultimately be his final Major League home run, uh, plunking one down in the pool in right center field in Arizona against none other than Randy Johnson. Shot did make Franco the oldest player in Major League history to hit a home run. Not content with that, Franco stole a base in the game to boot. Uh, I believe he stole six bases that year at age 48, which is pretty insane. Let me check that on the on the old baseball reference. Sorry, no, he stole six bases in 2006 at the young the young speedy age of 47. He only stole two bases with the Mets in 2007. And believe it or not, he's not the oldest player to steal a base in a game. He's the second oldest, uh, from what I could gather looking that up online. The oldest is Arlie Latham of the New York Giants in 1909. So uh, for the modern era, he would also qualify as the oldest player to steal a base as well. I believe I, I, believe I also remember them saying that Franco versus Randy Johnson was the oldest batter-pitcher pair in quite some time in the major leagues, but that record would be topped only a month later when the Mets played the Yankees and Franco batted against Roger Clements, uh, which is officially the oldest batter-pitcher pair since October 1st, 1933 in major league history. But Franco is seemingly out of gas, and you know we all know the Mets started struggling in 2007, uh, and Franco had just 50 at-bats heading into the summer, hitting 200 with that one home run and eight RBIs. Uh, the Mets in, had to activate Lasting's Millage from the DL and gave Franco uh, his release in July of 2007. And Franco would latch back on and finish his career in 2007 with the Braves, which you know, is probably somewhat fitting since they brought him back. And you know he certainly had that notoriety of uh, first playing in, in those older years with Atlanta. Uh, he got very sporadic playing time with him, uh, but he made his final major league appearance as a pinch hitter on September 17th, 2007, coming up to pinch hit in a 10th game. Atlanta was ahead 10-6 at the age of 49 years and 25 days. Uh, the Braves announcers amusedly noted that both 1991 major league batting champions were in the park. The other, Terry Pendleton, of course, had been retired for 10 years at that point and was coaching. Uh, Franco took that almost same familiar batting stance that people have been seeing in Major League Baseball for more than 20 years. Uh, the stance he had taken for 9,730 previous plate appearances in Major League Baseball, countless others across the globe in the minors and other professional leagues, and he did what he does. He cracked a line drive RBI single the other way for his 2,586th and final career Major League hit. Perhaps sensing that the end was near, uh, the the fans gave, you know, there was a bit of a, somewhat of a standing ovation. It was it looked like a sparse crowd I was watching online, but uh, you know, it was uh, seemed seemed to be some awareness of of the situation and looked like a pretty nice moment. It was an incredible Major League Baseball career, uh, but only end of a Major League Baseball career, not not a professional baseball career. So just to put a bow on a memorable baseball career, yes, when people think of Julio Franco, they think, Julio Franco is old. How old was he? Well, you could find so many fun facts from the internet. Uh, 
some of them I've already mentioned. You know, he, he was the last player who was eligible to wear a batting helmet with no ear flaps, which he did throughout his career. As I said, he's the only major league player known to have hit a home run with his grandson in attendance. Oldest player to hit a grand slam at the age of 47 when he broke his own record, set hitting a grand slam at the age of 45. Oldest regularly playing non-pitcher. Second oldest player to appear in Major League Baseball postseason play, again, for the Mets at the age of 48 in 2006. Could go on and on. Somewhat obscures the fact that while he might have been a little short of a Hall of Fame career, Julio Franco had a pretty quintessentially Hall of Very Good career, as they say. Uh, He had a career war, according to baseball reference, of 43.6. Much of that as a middle infielder. Again, 2,586 career hits, uh, just a little short of that 3,000 threshold. Uh, His baseball reference similarity scores of similar hitters includes an interesting mix of Hall of Famers and non-Hall of Famers, uh, while the closest are Buddy Bell and B.J. Serhoff. Others on the list are Alan Trammell, Eno Slaughter, Roberto Alomar, and Lou Whitaker. For me, to use a more Metsy comparison, I know he wasn't as good uh, or quite as beloved as a Met, but it reminds me a lot of R.A. Dickey and even more so Bartolo Colon, uh, you know, and that they were notable for these quirky things, and maybe that quirk obscured just their talent, uh, you know, particularly with Bartolo Colon. Uh, you know, I, I don't think Julio Franco or Bartolo Colon are Hall of Famers on stats alone, or not quite. Would I argue with you if you said that uh, Bartolo or Julio Franco belonged? Because in their unique cases, uh, their longevity or uniqueness or their story made them famous and memorable enough for it? I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't argue quite as much as I'd argue with Harold Beans's conclusion. I mean, but that's a, a pretty easy thing to argue. Um, in 2013, on a crowded Hall of Fame ballot in which no one would be elected, but featuring now nine current Hall of Famers, um, Franco got six votes, 1.1%, and fell off the ballot And what was actually Mike Piazza's first year on the ballot, and a year, as I said, no one got elected. Of course, no surprise, and I, I didn't think he would make it, but uh, he's still memorable in his own right. I mean, at any rate, from... From 1978 in rookie ball, clear through to 2008, which Franco spent in the Mexican leagues, with stops in Japan and Korea in the middle, if you were looking for Julio Franco, you knew where to find him, on a field, playing professional baseball. What a testimony, I think, to that just someone who loved to play the game, loved to hit, aside from thinking about Mr. Ward, thinking it was his son playing. When I think of Julio Franco, I think I'll think of Keith Hernandez referring to him as a professional hitter. 2014, at the age of 55, Franco played a handful of games in the independent United League Baseball, going 6-for-27 in seven games. In 2015, he signed as a player manager in Japan. He planned only to manage, but due to player injury, he did play 10 games, uh, which were his final games as a baseball professional. I'm sure it'll come as no zero surprise that he 
He's still working in baseball, a hitting coach uh, for a farm team of the Latte Giants in the Korean baseball organization, KBO. I love to you know recite player stats at the end, but I don't know where to begin with Julio Franco. I mean, I've already thrown out a lot of them. Just go to his baseball reference page and marvel at the stats, uh, marvel at the 23 years played in the majors, marvel at the extensive link to Korean, Japanese, Mexican league, his minor league stats. Matter of fact, as a matter of fact, yeah, if, rather than reading all the traditional and the advanced stats on baseball reference, my favorite stat is uh, over his 26-year professional career, when you factor in the majors, the minors, uh, the foreign leagues, Mexican, Japan, Dominican winter, South Korea, uh, Julio Franco has compiled over 4,200 hits in his professional career. Only 55 of them were with the New York Mets, but that doesn't mean that Julio Franco was anything but unformidable. Thank you for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram. You can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave a review if you can. It really helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at Wolf, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, if we ever get to play a game, let's go Mets. Thank you.